0: Hi there, I'm James Zappaci, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Today, team, we are talking about an application to have an ordinary costs order transformed into an indemnity costs order. Why does it matter? We'll get to that. Okay, so we've got a set of proceedings where a plaintiff sues a number of parties. Plaintiff loses, and one of the parties it sues, the second defendant, gets a costs order against the plaintiff. Right? Our second defendant has this costs order, and it is an ordinary costs order. And an ordinary costs order means that that party is entitled to have its costs paid by the plaintiff on an ordinary basis, the amount that the court would think was fair or reasonable. Now, we can have a lot of arguments about how much that is but one working figure sometimes used is that it might be something like 70 to 75% of the actual costs incurred. Another type of order is called an indemnity cost order, and it is what it sounds like. Um, It is the court attempting to indemnify the party who gets the cost order for all of the costs it has paid its solicitor, all of its solicitor-client costs. (laughs) So, before we got fiddly there, remember we were dealing with a plaintiff whose claim failed, and the second defendant got ordinary costs against the plaintiff, but the second defendant says, "Uh, uh, I don't want ordinary costs, I want indemnity costs. So that is what this application is all about. Now, if you are going to seek indemnity costs of this kind, you really need to set out the conduct of the party who you are alleging, asserting, submitting, ought to be liable to pay these costs and you really need to show the relevant delinquency. You need to set out that the conduct, and not the conduct at the heart of the matter, the breach of contract or the negligence or whatever it might be, but the actual conduct of the legal proceedings, the way they run the case, you have to show the way they run the case is relevantly delinquent, that it's plainly unreasonable. So this is what the second defendant has to argue this time. The second defendant has to say, look, what the plaintiff did in running the case was plainly unreasonable and to give away the order, the second defendant succeeded in doing that. So that meant that the second defendant got its indemnity cost order. Now, why? There are a number of reasons why. Uh, Firstly, the plaintiff failed to comply with what we call a guillotine order. And (laughs) you know what a guillotine is, it drops down and chops things off. A guillotine order in relation to the production of evidence is where the court in management of the case says, you have to get your evidence on before date X, and if it's any time after date X, date X plus one, well, then you need leave of the court um, to rely on that evidence. And in this matter, our naughty old plaintiff didn't comply with a guillotine order. Now, the naughty old plaintiff did a couple of other things, including serving a, an expert report that it said was a report in reply, but which actually led brand new evidence And that might sound like a tricky little issue, but as matters like this progress, uh, it's important, according to the court, um, that uh, reports are served at the appropriate times. And what was found by the court and what was actually accepted in cross-examination by the plaintiff's lawyer was that this report, which purported to be, which was supposed to be in reply, was actually bringing new stuff, bringing evidence in chief. What also happened, is that the expert evidence served was not in compliance with the Expert Witness Code of Conduct. So that was another breach. And what also happened twice was that the final hearing of the matter had to be adjourned because the plaintiff's lawyer um, was unavailable to show up for cross-examination. And as it turned out, uh, including on the basis of that reply point I mentioned to you a moment ago, that cross-examination was going to be really relevant to the case. And so those four reasons, let's just recap them quickly. Failure to comply with that guillotine order. Uh, What else did we have? We had (laughs) the failure to include the expert's code of conduct. We had the solicitor failing to make him or herself available for cross-examination. And we had the leading of evidence-in-chief a little bit too late. Leading of evidence-in-chief, when there was only uh, orders made for evidence in reply. All of that was found to be relevantly delinquent. It was found to be plainly unreasonable. So much so that the court agreed with the second defendant, forgive me, that the ordinary costs order ought to be replaced by an indemnity costs order on a more generous basis. Now, because of the way litigation works, um, the party, the plaintiff, um, him, her, or itself, is obliged to pay that costs order. But the judge makes an ominous comment, makes an ominous, forgive me, comment at the end of the judgment to say, look, a lot of this relevantly delinquent conduct, a lot of this plainly unreasonable conduct, is actually the lawyers going about their work. And so the lawyers and the plaintiff might want to have a conversation amongst themselves about who bears the liability for those costs orders. I hope that little adventure through case management, ordinary costs, indemnity costs, and that that sort of thing assisted you, and I'll look forward to catching up again soon for another coffee and another case note. Cheers.